Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out. Open them up to Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew chapter 18, we are going to engage in a, a big, long reading right here at the beginning. And so uh, to keep you from just checking out really early in the lesson, it would be most helpful for you if you get your Bibles and be reading along with me in Matthew, the 18th chapter. We'll kind of use this as the backbone for our study. We'll look at some other passages along the way, but we'll kind of just keep referring back to Matthew, the 18th chapter for the duration tonight. It is great to see everybody this evening. I'm so glad that you uh, made the decision to be back uh, once again to uh, just be an encouragement to uh, the others who are here uh, on this Sunday evening and what's been just a beautiful Lord's Day. I'm just thankful for that and I'm thankful for you and for the encouragement that you provide for me uh, just, by, just by being here. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, I want to read this parable that Jesus tells. It is sometimes referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant, but it's, it's going to just, like I said, it's going to underscore everything that we talk about tonight. So read it with me, if you will, in Matthew 18, and I've left my clicker down here. Matthew 18, verse 23. Read with me, beginning in verse 23. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says there, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a big sum. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and for payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And so out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, here's the summary statement, verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It was 10 years ago this month, April the 27th, 2011, at approximately 9.36 p.m., when a Maroon 93 Lexus SC400 being driven by a woman from Alcoa, Tennessee, Hannah Townsend was her name, she collided with a silver 2011 Hyundai Sonata being driven by yours truly. I was traveling back from a gospel meeting in Burksville, Kentucky, where I was preaching that week. And as I reached the intersection of Highway 90 and Highway 127, those of you that are familiar with that area, that would be like Clinton County, that's where you would turn to go toward Albany. I saw, as I was approaching that intersection, I saw a set of headlights beginning to kind of creep out into the road, pulling right out in front of exactly where I was headed. And despite my best efforts to flash my lights and to honk my horn and to do something to get her attention, it was all to no avail. 
Hannah Townsend's vehicle ended up slamming headlong into the passenger side of my car, sending me flying off of the road into a ditch where I ended up taking out a road sign before ultimately stopping just a few feet shy of a culvert. Now thankfully, no one was seriously injured from that incident. However, my brand new car, the first new car that I had ever owned in my life, not even two months old, was practically totaled. Now after realizing that no one was injured and being thankful for that, I then began to kind of assess the damage to my car, taking a look at what was going on there. And I'm just going to be honest with you, when I saw the damage that was present, I began to get hot. My new car. Why did this happen? What was this woman thinking? How could this be? Didn't she see me coming? There were other cars there on the road that evening. What in the world was she doing? I then went to go and talk to the woman. I'm going to at least, maybe I can find out from her. Maybe there's some explanation for why she did this. And immediately, I smelt the stench of alcohol coming from her. I noticed as well that both her and her passenger had bloodshot eyes. Her speech was slurred. Her behavior was erratic. Add it all up. These people were intoxicated. Now I'm really mad. Really, really mad. But I'm keeping my poker face on. Not trying to make a scene myself. Last thing that I want, there's, there's police officers there. Last thing I want to do is for me to get in trouble and get taken off to jail. But to make matters worse, as the deputy is administering the field sobriety test to this woman, I overhear her make the admission to the deputy that she is legally blind in her left eye which is actually the direction that I would have been coming from. Now I'm super mad. Not only is she intoxicated, but on top of that, she's irresponsible. What in the world is a blind woman doing driving a car at night in the rain? What is wrong with this lady? I am really, really hot. This woman's reckless behavior, it has endangered my life as well as the lives of other people. She has destroyed the first new car that I've ever owned in my life. She's caused my wife to have all kinds of distress. I'd called Tiffany and told her what's going on and she's all worried from afar. On top of all of that, she calls me to miss a new episode of American Idol that night. And at that time, I was a fan of American Idol. My mind is telling me, this woman needs to go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Send her to jail. She needs to pay. She needs to pay dearly for what she's done. There's no question about it. She is at fault. I've been wrong. I want retribution. No mercy for her. But as I stood there, in the middle of that big ugly scene, there's all the debris laying around on the ground. There's flashing lights going on everywhere. There's the chatter and the sound of eyewitnesses talking about what had just happened. And as I'm standing there thinking all of these very very vengeful thoughts, I don't say that, I'm not, not proud of that, I'm just telling you the story. I was ready to explode at any moment in the middle of all of that. I then hear the anguished voice of Hannah Townsend say to me, Honey, I am so sorry. I then turned and fixed my gaze in her direction. And she said it again. I'm so sorry. I will do whatever it takes to make this right. I'm just so sorry. And in that instance, I was forced to put into practice what I had actually just preached that very evening at Burksville 
this text from Matthew the 18th chapter. In that moment, I was forced to consider my own willingness and readiness to forgive. Just how willing, just how ready was I to forgive this person who had done me wrong. It is the noted author C.S. Lewis who once wrote, We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. And that was exactly the conundrum that I found myself in on that fateful night. I started asking all those questions. Should I forgive her? When exactly should I forgive her? Why should I forgive this woman? How often should I be willing to extend that kind of forgiveness? Those are the kinds of tough questions that I would imagine just about every Christian has asked themselves at some point or another. And let me assure you that if you've asked yourselves those questions before, you are most certainly not the first. Jesus, in Matthew the 18th chapter, tells this parable about the unforgiving servant because an apostle, his own apostle Peter, had some struggles with forgiveness. Would you just back up a little bit? Look in the text again in Matthew 18. What prompted Jesus telling that parable? Matthew 18 verse 21, Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, if an apostle of the Lord had some difficulty forgiving those who had sinned against him, then I'm going to guess that you know full well just how hard that is to extend forgiveness. One Gallup poll, nationwide Gallup poll, found that 94% of Americans say that forgiveness, forgiving others, is really important. And yet 85% of those same polled individuals said that it was extremely hard to do. And it is. It is hard to forgive. It is hard to forgive when your spouse is unfaithful. It is hard to forgive when your co-worker is belligerent and uncooperative every day. It is hard to forgive when the kid at school who kind of takes on the moniker of being the bully is always pushing you around and giving you a hard time. It is hard to forgive when your brother or your sister in Christ, somebody who ought to know better, when they treat you wrong, when they gossip about you, they say hateful things. And yes, it is hard to forgive when a woman from Tennessee drives up into Kentucky and slams into your new car and destroys everything. It is hard to practice forgiveness. Whenever justice is not administered quickly, whenever restitution is not made in full, whenever the hurt that has been inflicted creates deep and painful scars, whenever maybe even that other person repeats the offense and continues in their wrongdoing, it makes forgiveness to our perspective, it makes it seem almost impossible. In fact, you've probably heard people, maybe you've even said it yourself, I just can't do it. I just can't forgive them. And yet Jesus says, you can do it. In fact, you must do it. You must be willing and ready to forgive at all times. I'm going to confess to you tonight, I need help with that. I need a lot of help with that. I need help in developing a forgiving spirit. 
This evening really is kind of part two to this two-part sermon series today talking about forgiveness. We began today by talking about divine forgiveness, what God does. That then sets the stage for us to understand some things tonight about forgiving others. One of the very most difficult aspects of the Christian life. Because let's just be honest, more often than not, when we read this parable in Matthew chapter 18, which of those characters best represents us? I'm afraid that far too often I find myself acting just like that unmerciful servant. You know, we have been forgiven so very much by our merciful King. And yet too many times we fail to extend that kind of forgiveness towards the people who would trespass against us. What we'd rather do all too often is just kind of keep holding on to our feelings and our anger. We'd like to allow resentment and hatred to build up. We'd like to nurture grudges and those sorts of, uh, those sorts of uh, feelings for weeks and months and maybe even years on end. We'd rather talk about how right we were and tell everybody about how, how wrong that person was. In fact, I'm doing that this evening, telling you about Hannah Townsend. We like to talk about how that other person, they need to get what's coming to them. We've got to do better than that. God's people must do better than that. You can't expect people in the world to do any better than that, but we can and Jesus says we must. As God's people, as the recipients of a forgiveness that surpasses all understanding and all comprehension, you and I must develop a heart that is willing and ready to forgive because as Jesus says in the final statement of that parable, verse 35, our very salvation depends upon it. And so maybe where we ought to start is we ought to start just by getting a handle on what this forgiveness thing is. I'm afraid that all too often we have lots of wrong ideas about forgiveness and it just complicates things and it just makes things harder than God intended for them to be. So let's just dispel some ideas. Let's get rid of some wrong ideas about forgiveness. Let's just start with this one. For example, forgiving others is not about approving or excusing or overlooking the offense. You know, someone sins against us in some way. And maybe they come to us and they recognize their error and maybe they apologize and they ask for that forgiveness. And, and what do we sometimes say? We say things like, oh, it's, it's okay. I, you, you, you couldn't help it. I, I understand why you did that. Hey, hey, let's just pretend like it never even happened. And, and I know why we say those things. It's because... It's just an awkward conversation to have. We don't like kind of being put on the spot in that way. And so we do say things like, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Yes, it is. Yes, it is a big deal. Every time sin is committed, it is a huge deal. I know this because it's such a huge deal that the God of heaven sent His only begotten Son to this earth in order to remedy the problem of sin. And so let's not diminish the sacrifice of Jesus by thinking somehow that forgiveness means that we need to minimize offenses. Not only that, but I would tell you secondly that forgiveness, it is not, it is not just forgetting the offense. This is one of those just myths, one of those tales that I think it's just gotten repeated enough by enough people that over time I almost think people think this is found in the Bible. That what you need to do is you need to forgive and forget. In fact, it just kind of kind of just rolls off the tongue. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. That's got to be in there somewhere. God wants us to forgive and forget. Well, let me just correct that little myth by saying 
you can't always forget. Think about it. If you were raped, if you were molested as a child, if you were beaten, if you were abandoned, if you were abused, if you were cheated on, if you were betrayed, if you were lied about, there's a really good chance that you're never going to forget what happened to you. Remember several years ago, this is, this is, I don't remember what year, but it would be B.C. This would be before children. Me and, actually, it's even before marriage. Before me and Tiffany were even married, we were still just dating. And we were at a get-together at Glenn Price's dad's house. There was a bunch of people over from church, and on top of that, uh, Glenn and Kathy's uh, nephew was there. And their nephew was a young, rambunctious feller who liked to get into mischief, and so I kind of like to get in mischief too. And knowing that my wife had a terrible and awful fear of frogs, as many of you know, I encouraged this young man, hey, see that frog hopping around over there? Go pick it up and go take it over to Miss Tiffany. She'll think it's just wonderful. Well, she didn't think it was wonderful. In fact, not only did he take it over there to her, he threw it on her. To this day, Tiffany still remembers the horror of having that frog being thrown on her. Now, She's forgiven me. I think she's forgiven. Yeah, she's forgiven me. But she still remembers that. She can't forget that. That's kind of a kind of a you know traumatic episode to endure if you really have that fear. You know, this evening I'm saying to you that when the scriptures say things, and I think this is where we get this. When the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 says things like how God forgives our sins and then he remembers them no more. Uh, let me ask you, do we think that what that means is is that God just totally forgets the sins that we've committed? God's able to, I don't know, maybe He just hits Control-Alt-Delete and He just erases that from His memory? I don't know, that kind of seems to me like maybe that would kind of work uh, against the idea of God being omniscient. And I don't think that's what that means. I don't think it means that God forgets. I think what it means is it means that God doesn't charge that sin to our account anymore. I think that's what that's going for. And as we think about our role and our responsibility, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about somehow magically being able to forget the bad things that have happened to us. It's great if we're able to forget those things. But sometimes that's just not always possible. Maybe kind of closely connected with that is that forgiveness as well, forgiveness does not mean that we're going to cease to feel the pain that was caused by that offense. You know, just because you still feel lingering pain from what was done to you, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have failed to forgive. I'm certain that there are some of you sitting in this assembly this evening who have been very, very hurt by the evil actions or by the careless words or by the hateful attitudes of another person. And I want you to know that I'm so sorry for that. I hate that you've had to endure that. And it would be terribly cruel of me to stand up here and say, well, you know what? If you really have forgiven them, then it shouldn't hurt anymore. Yes, it does. Yes, it does still hurt. You know, I don't know where we're at in the Revelation class on Sunday morning. I'm not up here for the Revelation class, but I'm guessing you all are probably getting close to, if not already there, Revelation 21 verse 4. You know that verse, Revelation 21 verse 4? Where we talk about how all the pain and all the sorrow, and all the tears are going to stop. All the hurt's going to come to an end. When? When's all that going to come to an end? Now? No, Revelation 21 verse 4 bears out that's going to happen in the end. 
That's going to happen in Judgment Day. That's going to happen when the Lord returns. That's going to happen in eternity, which means that right now, what we experience on this fallen earth, it is still going to hurt. And we are still going to experience that pain. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Sometimes those scars will last a lifetime. I should say as well and add to this that forgiveness also, it doesn't necessarily even mean that we're going to start trusting the offender just because we forgive them. I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that, well, if we forgive somebody of the wrongdoing, then that means that we have to just start resuming the relationship as it was before. We're going to start just trusting that person unequivocally. We're just going to start being BFFs once again. Somebody maybe says, hey, you know, my dad molested me when I was, when I was a little child. and He's apologized for that, and I think he's been remorseful about that, and I forgive him of that. Can he babysit my kids? Answer, no. Absolutely not. Somebody else maybe says, you know, my wife, she depleted our bank account and racked up thousands of dollars in credit card debt and she came clean about that and she's sorry about that and we've reconciled about that. Can she be in charge of the family finances? Answer, no. Thank you for asking, but no, you may not. Trust is something that is built slowly, but it can be destroyed immediately. Now, hopefully, ideally, maybe in time, we will be able to repair that relationship to a point where we are able to trust that person again. But you know what? It may just be. It may just be that we're going to have to forgive that person and just kind of move on because trusting them again is just too much of a risk. I tend to believe that maybe this is, if not the reason, it's at least part of the reason why the Lord actually allows for, for one reason for divorce. And that is for the case of sexual immorality. You know, sometimes it is just, it's just too hard to trust a person again when they've been so careless and so frivolous with your heart. Let me say one more thing in this connection. And that is we need to understand that forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. Wicked actions and evil, it still has consequences. You know, just because I forgive my offender, that does not mean that that person is just going to totally escape all penalties and punishments that might come for that. You know, I can forgive Hannah Townsend for ne nearly killing me that night ten years ago. But you know what? That doesn't mean that she still may not get charged with a DUI and go to jail for that. That doesn't mean that she may not as well have her insurance rates skyrocket or that she might incur some other kind of penalty or punishment. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we worry about that. that sometimes just, justice just never even happens on this earth. But you know what? Even if the offender escapes every single earthly consequence, there is still the matter of eternal consequences. And those will be meted out and those will be rendered by the Lord on judgment day. I often think about Joseph in Genesis the 50th chapter. Joseph's brothers had done him so terribly wrong sold him into slavery, left him for dead. They then come and they seek his forgiveness. Joseph grants that forgiveness, but Joseph says to them in Genesis 50 and in verse 19, he reminds them, brothers, I'm not in the place of God. In other words, I forgive you, but you boys still have some things that you need to get worked out and straightened out with the God of heaven because he's the one who will ultimately administer justice. We need to remember that extending forgiveness does not mean that justice just goes out the window with it. In fact, forgiveness is not, it's not any of those things. So what is forgiveness? 
I'd like to think we already know the answer to this because I think we made this very clear this morning when we studied from Luke the 7th chapter. Forgiveness is the canceling of the debt. Isn't that how Jesus described it in Luke 7? Isn't that how Jesus describes it here in this parable in Matthew 18? Look again at verse 27. In Matthew 18 and verse 27, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Releasing of the debt. Zeros across the board where the amount is due. This would be like if the good people at Community Trust Bank were to call me up tomorrow and say, Mr. McKibben, we've got great news. The remaining balance on your home mortgage that you owe here with our bank, it's been deleted. It's been erased. It's been canceled. It's been forgiven. What? Wow, that's amazing. Really? Yeah, you don't owe anything. We're not going to send you any more payment reminders or notifications. We're going to stop the automatic withdrawal from your bank account. Not going to be doing that anymore. Five years from now, you don't have to worry about us, you know, changing our minds and ah, we're coming back and we're here to collect that money you owe us. Furthermore, we're not going to go and besmirch your reputation with other financial institutions. Oh, don't do any kind of business with Josh McKibben down there. He'll swindle you out of your money and ruin your credit score. No, no, we are absolving you. We are freeing you. We are releasing you and forgiving you of this debt. Now that's an amazing idea. And I think with that debt, thinking about my home mortgage, I think that's probably a pipe dream that that's ever going to be forgiven, particularly in our economy that we live in today. And it seems like we're maybe on the verge of another financial breakdown. I don't think banks are going to go forgiving loans of good homeowners who actually pay their bills on time. But you know what? It does start to put into perspective for us just the magnitude of what it means to forgive. Because what that illustration shows us Maybe even better, what Jesus' parables are showing us is that forgiveness, forgiveness is costly. It is. Now, it's not costly to the person who is receiving the forgiveness. No, for that person it's, it's free. It's a gift. Forgiveness is costly for who? It is costly for us when we are the extending the forgiveness. And what does it cost us? Well, it costs us things like, like our pride, It costs us the right to go around and tell everybody about how badly we've been treated. It costs us the chance to to go and badmouth the offender and speak evil of them to others. It costs us the the privilege of wearing that martyr complex that all too often we just we really enjoy wearing around. It costs us the opportunity to retaliate and to seek vengeance for ourselves. It costs us the chance of, of bringing it back up a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. When we truly forgive from the heart, we are giving all of that up. We are making a tremendous sacrifice whenever we extend forgiveness. And do you see? Do you see how the forgiveness that we are called to extend, how it begins to mirror in some ways the forgiveness that God extends? In order for God to cancel that massive debt of sin that we racked up against Him, what God have to do? He had to sacrifice. He had to sacrifice tremendously. He had to give something up that was more costly than all the riches that this world has ever known. Romans 8 verse 32 says that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. God was willing to pay the ultimate price in order to make possible the forgiveness of our sins. 
And that is why when somebody asks the question, well, well, why exactly should we be so eager to forgive others? The answer is, because I want to be more like the Lord. That's a good first answer. I want to be like the Lord. I want to develop. I want to mature. I want to grow to the point that I am looking at things. I'm looking at life. I'm looking at other people the way that God looks at them. Would you look with me in Colossians 3? In Colossians, the third chapter, Paul talks here about putting on the new man. How we are raised from the waters of baptism and we become a new man or a new woman. Part of that process is described in Colossians chapter 3, look in verse 12. In Colossians 3 and in verse 12, "...having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." Verse 13 now, "...and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him..." having forgiven us all our trespasses. You see there, being a Christian, it's all about being like the Lord more and more every single day. And so that means that since our Lord is compassionate, well, I need to seek to be compassionate. The Lord is patient. I need to seek to be patient. The Lord is merciful. I will be merciful. The Lord is forgiving. I will be forgiving. Now I realize that that right there, that's not real theologically deep. But you know what? When you realize that at the end of the day, the goal of Christianity is to be like Christ, to live like Christ, so that one day you can go and live with Christ, that'll motivate you. That will... It's more than enough motivation. It'll push you past whatever stubbornness that you have. It'll push you past those hard feelings. I know the feelings of like, I don't want to forgive this person. It's not fair. I I don't want to forgive. They don't deserve my forgiveness. It'll push you past that. Push you past those feelings and that resentment. When you realize that it's about being like the Lord, you will be eager to forgive those who trespass against you. Because, Because I want to go to heaven. I do. I want to go to heaven more than anything else. And in order for me to get there, I'm going to have to to restructure my life, my actions, my behavior, my thinking, so that it resembles the Lord more and more every day. And that's especially so when it comes to this business of forgiveness. And I realize that I will never, you will never, none of us will ever reach the perfection of forgiveness that the Lord models for us. The truth of the matter also is, I'm never even going to get close if I don't start. When we forgive others, it gives us the opportunity to display the grace of God in our very lives. I tell you though, that's not the only reason we want to be eager to forgive. Can I say something here about the danger of corruption? When we're eager to forgive, I think that helps to combat some of those destructive forces that can corrupt and poison our souls. Somebody may be saying, corruptive forces. What are you talking about, John? That sounds spooky and mystical. Well, look in Ephesians 4. Here's what I'm talking about. In Ephesians 4, Paul, once again, he's discussing the, the, what's the new life in Christ all about. Well, what he does is he identifies several harmful attitudes and behaviors that, that we just got to put away as the children of God. Look at, look at the list here in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 31. In Ephesians 4, verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, 
and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Can I ask you, aren't those exactly the kinds of feelings and attitudes that begin to well up within us whenever somebody's done us wrong? Isn't that exactly the kind of evil and and ugly attitudes that if we allow them to stay there, not only are those things sinful, but they cause us to go deeper and deeper into sin and to having the mind that is completely opposed to the way of Christ. I, I will be honest one more time. These were the feelings that I was feeling that night when I got hit in that car wreck on the way home from Burksville. Those were the kinds of things I felt like doing and just embracing full bore to this woman who had done me wrong. It's so easy for us to just kind of feed in to that monster. Give in to that temptation. To let anger and hatred and vengeance just take over. And when that happens, point number one, we most certainly are not being like the Lord. No, we're being like the God of this world. What do we do about that? What's the solution to that? Paul has the solution. Look at the very next verse, verse 32. How do you avoid being corrupted by those things? Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's forgiveness, isn't it? Forgiveness is one of the weapons that you and I are able to use to fight off the attacks of Satan. And I need to be eager to forgive for that reason. I need to do that for my own sake. But furthermore, we need to be eager to forgive for the sake of the offender as well. Because when we are eager to forgive, that also provides us the opportunity to encourage repentance on the part of the offender. If you go back to where we began in Matthew the 18th chapter, we we noticed the parable that Jesus tells about the unmerciful servant. And then we backed up and we noticed that Peter had some questions that led to that parable. But what was it that provoked the questions? Well, back up a little further in Matthew 18. Look in verse 15. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus then gives some other contingency uh, kind of legislation in the event that that doesn't work, verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I want you to just notice, focus really sharply on verse 15. Jesus says that when someone sins against us, here contextually he's talking about a brother in the Lord, we are to go and talk to that person. We are to confront them. We are to make them aware of the offense. Sometimes people commit offenses and they're not even aware of what they've done. We need to go and talk to that person about it. And we're going to do that why? We're going to do that in hopes that they will listen and in hopes that they will then make correction in their life. We want to care enough about people's souls that we're going to tell them as as humbly as we can, as kindly as we can, you've done wrong. And furthermore, what you did, it hurt me. It caused me pain and I want want you to understand about that. And we want to encourage them to make changes. That's what repentance calls for and we want to do that so that ultimately they can experience the blessing of God's forgiveness. I can forgive somebody all day long. I can do that 70 times 7 thing that Jesus talks about. But that doesn't do that person ultimately any good. It may make them feel better. But what we hope is we hope that that person ultimately will do better. And that's what forgiveness gives us the opportunity to do. To show that other person, 
I want you to do better. I want you to see where you've missed it and I want you to repent. My forgiveness is great and and I'm glad that I can extend it. But I ultimately want you to find peace with God. I want you to be forgiven by Him. And if that person never acknowledges their wrongdoing, if they never repent, that's not my problem. That's between that person and God. I'm going to pray for them and I ask that God's will be done and I'm going to then just leave it in His hands. Which then brings me to this last thing as to why we should be eager to forgive. And that is because there's just a whole host of wonderful spiritual blessings that accrue to us whenever we do forgive. You know, there's been studies done about this. There's actually all kinds of physical benefits that come from having a forgiving spirit. Studies have shown that whenever people hold on to grudges and bitterness, it does things like elevating your blood pressure, it upsets your digestive system, it can lead to ulcers, it can trigger depression, it can even increase the risk of certain types of cancer. Long story short, if you learn how to forgive, you probably will have better health than if you don't learn how to forgive. But you know what? All of those physical blessings, they really pale in comparison to the spiritual blessings that come from forgiveness. And I am thinking of things like like peace and joy. Unforgiveness It robs us of peace. It robs us of joy. Here I'm carrying around this big heavy burden, just carrying it around all the time, and I want it gone. I want it lifted off of my shoulders. I just find myself, as long as I just kind of keep this hanging over my head, I'm just unhappy all of the time. I'm constantly thinking about this this thing that exists between me and this other person, and, and I just want it gone. Forgiveness might very well be the key to unlocking the joy and the peace that is missing there. Or what about as well, what about the blessing of of unhindered prayers? I don't know about you, but I like knowing that God hears my prayers and having confidence that He will respond to my prayers, specifically whenever I ask Him for forgiveness of my own sins. But you know what? That assurance in prayer... That only comes whenever I have a forgiving spirit. Jesus says so. Look in Mark 11. In Mark 11, Jesus just spells this out for us. In Mark 11, verse 24, Jesus says there, Mark 11, 24, He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Well, hey, that's... Oh, everybody loves that part. But look at verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is in, who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I don't know about you, but I, I, I cannot live without God's forgiveness. I would be so lost. I would be hopelessly, miserably lost. And that is why my willingness to forgive others is so vitally important. What we're looking at here in Mark 11 and a host of other passages, this is not a suggestion. This is not God saying, hey, here's some good advice, how you can kind of enjoy your life a little bit better. That's not what this is. This is a command of the Lord. This is something, not not something that God says I should do. This is something that God says I must do. And I will say once again, then I realize that's not always easy. Some of you are maybe wondering, Josh, well, 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 what about you? It's been 10 years. What about you and the hard feelings that you had toward Hannah Townsend that night of that car wreck? Have you, have you forgiven her? 
Have you developed that kind of willing and ready heart to forgive? And the answer is yes. It didn't happen overnight. It took some time. I actually, when I got a hold of the police report, I actually had her address on there. I wrote her a letter. In that letter, I made clear that I had forgiven her of what had took place that night. And I let her know that uh, if there ever was an opportunity that we could talk and we could talk more about God's forgiveness, that I would love very much to have that opportunity. And I put a couple of scriptures in the letter and in hopes that that would be received well. I've never heard back from Hannah Townsend. I don't know, you know, who knows, maybe the video and audio recording of this sermon tonight may make its way to this woman wherever she might be and maybe there'll be an opportunity to get to talk to her about forgiveness. But you know what? What I've come to recognize is what my job is in all of that. What God's expectation is for me in that process. In a lot of ways, being willing and, willing and ready to forgive, it's kind, of like, it's kind of like that set of adjoining doors between two hotel rooms. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a hotel where there's, there's a couple of rooms that they're, they're actually connected, but there's these, these, a, set of, a set of doors, adjoining doors. And I can open up the door that's in my room. I have control over the lock and I can put my hand on the handle and I can turn it and I can control that one, but, but I can't open the other door. There's no, there's no lock there for me to touch. There's no handle there for me to grab onto. God wants me, in a lot of ways, I think God wants me to just take care of my door. I, I can't control the person who's in the other room, but I can control me. And God expects me to open up my door. And whether that person on the other side, whether they ever open up their door or not, whether they ever do what they're supposed to do or not, that's for them and the Lord to decide. I just need to be ready and I need to be willing to do my part. Whenever I think about Jesus on the cross, when Jesus makes that cry, one of those seven statements that He makes in Luke the 23rd chapter and in verse 34, when He says concerning His crucifiers, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think that's kind of what we see there. We see somebody who's he's opening up his side of the door. Here's somebody who is ready to forgive. But those people on the other side of that door, they were going to have to see to it that they then came and received and accepted that forgiveness. At the end of the day, I really can just do no better than to just follow the example of Jesus. I need to be ready at a moment's notice to extend that olive branch, proverbial olive branch, and then truly forgive from my heart. And when you do find that it is hard, and it will be hard, I will say to you that there have been other occasions since that night ten years ago that have been much harder for me to forgive, and I have had to learn and work through those things. But maybe it would be helpful for you to ask yourself some of these questions. I'll give you three questions really quickly. First of all, maybe you need to ask yourself, how would I want to be treated if the roles were reversed? If I was the offender instead of the offendee, how would I want to be treated in that circumstance? I think most of us, if we have any concept at all of that golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12, I think we'd say, I, I'd want mercy. I'd want to be forgiven. And maybe it's good as well to ask this question. How much has God forgiven me? You know, have you ever stopped and just tried to add up all the things that God has forgiven you for? What a massive amount of debt that must be. Hasn't God canceled so much debt that I could never, ever repay? Can I not at least be willing to forgive what in many ways is a very minor debt 
in comparison to the things that God has done, considering how my king has done so very much for me. And then finally, maybe it would be prudent to ask yourself, just how important is it for me to go to heaven? You know, that's kind of the ultimate question here. And if you are of a mind that, eh, heaven's just not really all that important to me. You know, going to heaven, that's kind of a peripheral issue. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah it'd be great if I get to go there someday, but I'm not really making that like the focus of my whole life. If that's your view about heaven, then hey, by all means, don't worry with forgiveness. It's too much hassle, it's too much work. Don't even bother with it. But I'd like to think that in a good audience like this on a Sunday night, I'm talking to people for whom heaven is the very most important thing in your life. It is your heart's desire. It is your greatest goal. It is what you want more than anything else. If you understand that, then you're going to learn how to forgive, aren't you? When you recognize that your eternal salvation, Matthew 18.35, when that hangs in the balance, when you realize this is a matter of life and death, literally, it is a matter of heaven and hell, then forgiveness stops being this, this optional equipment thing. Well, maybe I'll forgive. No, 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 no. Forgiveness becomes the absolute must that the Lord says that it is. I must be willing and ready to forgive. You've listened very well this evening and I've went long. In just a second, we're going to be led in our song of invitation. Brother Josh is going to lead us in that song, number 280. If you're using a song book, you can be getting that ready right now. We are singing that song tonight to let you know, to let all of us know, that we have a God in heaven who is most definitely an extremely merciful King. And the fact of the matter is, God wants to forgive. He is eager to do that. He is ready to do that. You just have to come and take it. Come and receive it. Come and receive it on His terms. If you're not a Christian this evening, then this is a wonderful occasion. We've talked so much about forgiveness today. I really don't know that there's a whole lot more that I can even say on this subject. Either you see the value in it, or you don't. I hope that you do. And I hope it will motivate you tonight to come forward, to announce and confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and be willing to then submit to the waters of baptism, to be united with Christ, to be placed into the body of the Lord. And you can begin serving Jesus, becoming more and more like Him each day, developing a forgiving spirit so that heaven can be your home when this life is over. Brother or sister, it may be that this forgiveness thing is a real problem for you. You need to repent of that. You need to fix that. This is not optional equipment. And that may be something you just take care of right where you sit or right where you stand, just between you and the Lord. Maybe though there's something that you need to come and you need to confess before your brethren tonight. And you need to ask for the special prayers and the special encouragement that God's family is able to supply. We're ready to do that as well. Whatever your need may be, God is ready to forgive. Come and grab a hold of it. Do it right now while we stand and while we sing.